Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. Part two in a message series called You'll Be Glad You Did, Timeless Advice for Troubled Times. And what we're doing within this series is we're looking at a section of the scriptures uh, that is sometimes referred to as wisdom literature. There's this whole category, multiple books of the Bible fall into this uh, genre, if you will, wisdom literature. And wisdom, for our purposes, where we began last week, wisdom is a set of insights informed by the knowledge that life is connected. A set of insights informed by the knowledge that life is connected. I'll say more about that in a minute or two. But let me uh, begin this morning with a little bit of a confession, and maybe you can relate to some of this. I hate being told what to do. Anybody, can anybody relate to that? I just hate being told what to do, even if it was something that I might otherwise enjoy. If I'm told that I have to do it, all of a sudden, I don't want any part of it. And there have been so many times when, like, you know, somebody looks at you, you know, uh, Pastor Bert, you have to, you got to show up at this thing. And I'm like, no, I don't. I'm not doing it. I don't want to. You know, and then I'll do it, and I'm like, okay, that actually wasn't so bad. Raise your hand. Okay, let's let's check. Let's do a little honesty check. Let's see what kind of honesty we're working with in the room today. Raise your hand if you have ever had to take something apart and put it back together a second time because you didn't want to read the instructions. Raise your hand. Oh yeah, look at look at how many of you. This is like half more than half the room. Do you know why? Because I happen to think that my way of doing things is the best way of doing things, even if I have no expertise in the area whatsoever. I'm just so sure that my way of doing things is the best way to do things, even if I don't know that particular. So, so, and that's why, you know, uh, I've had many times in my life to, to, to take something apart and put it back together because I know, I mean, how hard could it be? It's a piece of furniture from Ikea, you know. You put it together with an Allen key. How hard could this be? And then it, I think it's done and there's like a pile of hardware left over and extra parts. And I'm like, that you know, it's wobbly. So, and then when you do that, you know, when you do that, if you've ever witnessed somebody doing that, it's probably your dad that you saw. Um, the dad will tell you the dad line. There's a line for that. And if you're a young father or a new father, you go ahead and write this down because it'll come back to serve you later in life. Uh, if you ever find yourself in that position, you just go, yeah, it was just designed really poorly. Terrible design on this thing. I had to redo it and make some improvements on it. That's what it was. <laughs> because I'm so sure that my way of doing things is the right way of doing things. And I don't want to be told what to do. And, I, and, and what that makes me, by the way, is human. We can, we can all relate to that in some way. The trouble is when we operate like our way is the best way, we're often swimming upstream against wisdom. And the, the concept I want to zero in on this morning, the thing I want to challenge each of you with is this word. It's the word listen. Listen. Now, we don't need to be told to listen when we're dealing with something we would otherwise want to do. We only need to be told to listen when it's something where we're going, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Nobody needs, in other words, nobody needs to show up and reinforce positive confirmation bias, which is to say, I don't need anybody in my life going, Bert, how many times have I told you? Order dessert. <laughs> Will you please? Come on. You know, I don't, I don't need anybody to say that. I was going to order dessert anyway. I don't need to hear that. Some of you, you don't need anybody in your life coming up to you and going, hey, come on, buy the shoes. Let's go. 
Get yourself a new pair of shoes. You were going to buy the shoes anyway. You were going to do the thing anyway. You were going to call the cute guy back. You were going to do the thing that you were going to do anyway. We don't need somebody to tell us what to do when it comes to stuff we were already going to do or stuff where, where there's a positive confirmation bias. What we need is somebody in our life to talk to us when there's a place in our life where we're going, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, whatever, fine, I got this. Don't worry about me. You do you. I got, I'm on, don't, thank you. That's where we need to listen. That's where we need to walk with humility. Because humility is the path of least resistance for wisdom. Water follows the path of least resistance, yes? Water follows a trench. It follow, follows whatever's been made. The path of least resistance to wisdom is humility. A series of insights informed by the knowledge that life is connected. So this area of your life touches this area of your life. What you do in this area of your life is going to impact what happens in this area of your life. All the different parts of your life are connected. That You can't compartmentalize just one little area and think, what I do here isn't going to be that big a deal. What, what happens in your past impacts your present. The decisions you made in the past are creating your current reality. And the decisions you're making right now are creating the reality that you are coming to. Life is connected. And when we live our lives as if life is disconnected, we lack wisdom. What God is calling us to in these moments is to listen. Now, you've had this conversation with your kids. At some point, you've talked to your kids and you've gone, hey, this is important. Life is connected. Maybe you didn't use those words, but you said, these grades matter. You know, what you're doing now matters. If you get in trouble on this, this could follow you. This could, this could count. This could go, how many of you have used those dreaded words? This could go on your permanent record. <laughs> nothing scarier to a kid. Nobody even knows what a permanent record is, but when you, there's nothing scarier as a kid when you hear the words permanent record, you know. Um, this could go on your permanent record. You better be careful. We know it's true for our kids. We sometimes know it's true for others, but often we just forget to apply it to ourselves. That life is connected. The decisions we're making now are going to impact the reality we soon will arrive at. What we need is to listen. When we don't, when we decide we're going forward and my way is best, Thank you very much. I don't need to hear about that. I know you want to talk to me about the thing, but I don't need to hear about the thing. I like what I'm doing right now. I like where my life is going. Don't want to hear it. Don't need it. Thank you very much. That's you masterminding your own disappointment. You're masterminding your own disappointment. You and I are building a base camp on Mount Regret. We're building a base camp on Mount Regret. The base camp is where you start your mountain climbing expedition from. And what we've got here is a base camp on Mount Regret. That's a mountain. I'm going to climb it. Thank you very much. I'm going to get up that thing. And we get up to the top and we get to the peak and we get to where we think we want to get to and what's waiting for us at the top after all that work and all that stress and all those people along the way going, don't go up there, man, is up the top. Just a lot of regret. That's what happens when we don't listen when we don't operate in humility. Our regrets are usually preceded by a series of unwise decisions. 
In fact, if you think about your biggest regret, you think about the, the, that one mistake that still haunts you, that one thing you wish you could undo. I, it might be painful. I don't need you to pull it up and dwell on it. But think on this for a minute. I think it's true for most of us. Our biggest regret was preceded by a series of unwise decisions. For most of us, our biggest regret was preceded by a series of unwise decisions. And when we come to our biggest regret and we look back at that thing we never should have done or that thing we never should have said or that opportunity we absolutely blew because we were not paying attention, what we often come to in that moment is, I should have listened. I should have listened. There were signs along the way. There were people along the way saying things to me. There were were signals, and I just didn't want to hear it. I just insisted on having my way with this thing. I just knew that my way was better, and I should have listened. That's what people often come to at the top of that mountain. Should have listened. And you know this is true because you, at times, have seen with perfect clarity the mistakes that other people are about to make. Have you not? You've seen your coworkers, your friends, your cousins, your, your, your uh, brothers and sisters perhaps about to make a terrible mistake, about to do something just, have you ever just watched somebody do something galactically stupid where you're like, oh, come on. I mean, don't, don't do this. Don't, don't make this business investment. Don't form that partnership. Don't go down that road. It's so obvious. This is a terrible idea. You see with perfect clarity. And what are they doing? They're not listening. Make sure that's not you. So what that means is, as God places people in your life, I bet he has, and people speak in and go, hey, uh, I'm worried about this, or are you being careful about that? It's easy in those moments to go, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. I got it. Thanks anyway, I got it. Is that what comes quick to you? Or is it in your nature to say, you know, maybe I have a blind spot there. Help me, help me out. What what do you got? What do you see? Let me take that in. Let me receive it. Let me walk with a little bit of humility and not just insist that I know everything. Let me receive some of what you're trying to send my way. Pay attention to the tension. When King David died, his son Solomon uh, succeeded him to the throne of Israel. And Solomon, King Solomon, uh, if you've never heard of him, Solomon went down in history as the wisest person who ever lived. King Solomon is known as the wisest person who ever lived on the planet. And when he became king, it was at the ripe old age of 20. Now, 20, 2,000 years ago, was different than 20 now. At 2,000 years ago, at 20, you were halfway through your life probably. The life expectancy was much lower. You were a grown man at 20. But still, biologically at 20, your prefrontal cortex is still forming. The cement is still wet on literally who you are and who you're going to be. But have you noticed at 20-somethings in the room, if you're a 20-something, listen, have you ever noticed that you know everything? You know everything. Have you ever noticed that? It's amazing that you know everything. You do. When you're in your 20s, it's not your fault. It's just part of the deal. 
When you get to your 20s, you know everything. You see with vivid clarity what idiots every other generation older than you is. It's what happens. It's not your fault. It's just what happens. You know everything in your 20s. And then you get to your 30s and you're like, wait a minute, I don't know some of the stuff I thought I know. And then you get to your 40s and you're like, I'm an idiot. Then if you're like me, you come over the crest of 50 and you're like, I hope I learned something new because I, I already forgot the stuff I thought I knew when I was 20. You know, so. But King Solomon is 20 when he becomes king of Israel. And what does he do? He asks God for help. Listen to this. He, he prays a prayer and it gets recorded for us. This is 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 7 and 9. Now, O Lord my God, You have made me king instead of my father, David. But I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous, they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours. It's a pretty good start. Pretty good start. Oh Lord, you have made me king. God, you did this. I'm not king because I'm so smart. I'm not king because I'm so capable. I'm not king because I'm so good looking. I'm king because you made me king. You put me in this place. And now I need your help. Did you catch these words? I'm like a little child. What humility. I'm I'm like a little child. And And who alone could govern this great people of yours? I need your help. This is, come on, this is the wisest person who ever lived asking for help, seeking to learn. And what does God do? He answers his prayer. First Kings chapter four, verses 29 and 31. So God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding and knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. In fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the East and the wise men of Egypt. His fame spread throughout all the surrounding nations. The path of least resistance for wisdom is humility. A willingness to listen. And a willingness, even if there's nobody there trying to give you advice, a willingness to seek out advice and learn. There was, and still is, a famous hotel manager named Horst Schultz famous guy in the industry. If you're in this industry, you probably know who he is. He was one of the founding partners of the Ritz-Carlton Group. Now in the 80s, the Ritz-Carlton Group set out to be the creme de la creme of the hotel industry. They wanted the experience there and they wanted their service to be top shelf, top notch, but they were experiencing a a, a recurring problem with their employees. The Ritz-Carlton tends to draw, tended to draw very, very wealthy uh, upper class people, the kind of people that are used to being waited on by servants. As such, they expected everybody to sort of serve them as if they were subservient and they were dismissive to the staff. The staff 
ordinary people trying to do their job, took umbrage to this. And, and, and often like there were, there were little passive aggressive, you know, uh, comments and things were made and people quit their jobs. and like, I'm not going to be treated like this. I'm done. And they couldn't quite find the right balance to, to create the experience they wanted. Horst Schultz was the manager and he fixed it. And here's what he did. He put everybody together, everybody that worked in the hotel, he got them together and said, listen, I know you're being treated like you're a servant. We are not servants. We are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. We are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. And if a lady or gentleman is disrespected or is treated rudely, a lady or, and gentleman dem demurs and defers. And what we're going to do is ignore their rudeness and, and, and serve them well. And it was a game changer. It changed the Ritz-Carlton. It made the Ritz-Carlton what it, what it was. And it has been copied in the industry from then on. Horst Schultz was the, was the trendsetter. He was the guy. Recently, I was at a, a, a conference in Atlanta, Georgia, actually at North Point Community Church, where Andy Stanley is the pastor. That's where we got some of this content, right? So we're down there. There's a, um, we're, our church is part of a network. About 100 pastors were there. And we're in a conference room listening to uh, Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A. And he's talking to us about customer service and how to care for people. Chick-fil-A is a walking miracle in the first place. They figured out how to make teenagers polite. I don't know how they did that. My pleasure. Are you kidding me? Whatever. Okay, so like... Um, so we're listening to Dan Cathy and he's worth listening to. And I'm sitting in the back. I'm in the back of the room. Uh, you know, we're all at tables, uh, circular tables, but I'm in the back of the room because I'm that guy. I was always in the back of the bus and stuff. So I'm, you know, I'm in the back of the room kind of watching what's going on. And uh, all of a sudden he stops what he's doing because somebody had walked into the room, is kind of leaning on a post. And, and Dan Cathy goes, I, ladies and gentlemen, I just have to stop uh, my, what I'm saying. Uh, my, my dear friend, Horst Schultz, has just walked into the room and this man is a legend. And everyone kind of went... Like, nobody knew who he was. I knew who he was. So I'm in the back of the room, and I'm like, wow, that's kind of a big deal. And as soon as uh, the, the, the meeting was over, he was kind of still hanging there, and I walked right over to him. So I, I walked over to him, and I said, Mr. Schultz, I'm, I'm a fan. Like, I know what you did in, uh, in, in your world, and I know the implications that it's had in the service industry and the implications that it has in church world. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you. And he goes, oh, that's wonderful. Tell me about your church. Did you like that? I worked on it. Okay, so <laughs> tell me about your church. And I said, oh, it's awesome. It's called True North. And we've been on, you know, we're on Long Island. He goes, oh, how long have you been there? Uh, 18, year, 18 years. This is wonderful. And how long have you, you know, how long have you been the pastor? Uh, the entire time. Oh, that's is good. And he asks me several questions, several questions. He keeps asking me questions about True North. And I love to talk about True North. I love talking about you guys. So I'm, you know, I'm like telling all the cool stuff about True North. And pretty soon there's like a group of people right and left of me because everybody Googled him and now everybody wants a selfie, right? So, uh, now, now there's people lining up to talk to him. There's people lining up to gather with him. There's people, and, and now I'm starting to feel a little bad, like, cause I'm kind of monopolizing his time, you know, and I'm sort of, so, so after he asked me a couple more questions, I go, all right, Mr. Schultz, I, I, thank you. Thank you so much for taking a minute to chat with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I shook his hand. Just, I, let me get out of your way. So I step out of, and I take, I take like five paces this way and I go, that was, that was terrible. That was terrible. I had Horst Schultz all to myself. I could have asked him anything. 
I, I should have come up with something good to ask him. I should have learned something from him. I couldn't. Do you know why? Because Horst Schultz wouldn't stop asking me questions. The entire time I talked to the guy, he's like, tell me about you. Tell me about your church. What do you do here? How did this work? How have you overcome this challenge? He's learning. That, that dude wanted to learn from me. I, he, he took time to learn from a nobody pastor from Long Island. He has no idea who, 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 who I am or whatever. Not that I'm anybody to learn from. But I'm just a nobody to this guy. And he takes the time and asks me question after question after question after question. Not just because he was being polite. I could see it in his eyes. He wanted to learn. He was hungry. He still wanted to know new things. And I thought to myself, that's the guy I want to be. I don't want to just be the guy always talking, talking, talking. I know that's a weird thing because all I'm doing up here is talking. But like I, in my life, when I'm not up here, like I want to just be listening. I want, I want to have that kind of hunger. He walked into this with that kind of humility. It was so beautiful. A couple of verses for you from the, pro, from the book of Proverbs, wisdom literature. Proverbs 9, verse 9. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Proverbs 1, 5. A wise person will hear and increase in learning. And a person of understanding will acquire wise counsel. And Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a person who listens to advice is wise. A person who listens to advice when I make decisions, I want good counsel. Our church has a management team, a group of people within the church that govern this place that I'm accountable to. And they could fire me. I, I, you could come into church next week. Somebody could be up here going, yeah, Bert's out. You know, he's, he's gone. I don't think they'll do that. I hope they don't do that. But like, I'm, you know, that's, but I'm accountable. And my goal in that room my goal is to be the stupidest person in the room. I want everybody around me to be smarter than me because they challenge me. And there's never been a moment when the management team spoke with unanimity that I didn't do what they say because they're smarter than me. I want people around me, leaders who surround themselves with yes men, eventually find themselves surrounded by people who have nothing to say. So here's my question to you as we close today. Where are you doing something that you don't want to tell anybody else about because you don't want to hear it? Where are you doing something in your life that you're not telling anybody else about because you don't want to hear it? Where are you planning to do something that you're not telling others about because you don't want to hear it? When we do that, when you do that, you're masterminding your own disappointment. You are building a base camp on Mount Regret. And if along the way, you'll take a minute to listen to some of the voices around you, or dare I say, solicit some advice and ask people, what do you think about this? And you hear counsel and receive that. Walk in humility, wisdom will follow. And if you do, You'd be glad you did. We'll pick it up right from here for part three next Sunday. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise your holy name. And we're so grateful for your word, which teaches us again and again and again 
that we're called to walk in wisdom, that we're called to walk in humility and listen to the counsel that you send us from others, Father, and from you, from your word. So, Lord, we're praying for help with this tendency that every one of us has to think that our way is the best way. We're praying for help breaking this tendency to think that we know better than others or someone else. We're praying for your help, walking in humility, seeking counsel. And Father, even when we don't want to hear it, we're praying for the ability and the desire to listen. May that be so in my life. May that be so in all of our lives. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give. Or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.